this is Captain Lee, and you're listening to the Andertons Podcast. to another episode of Anderson's TV. My special guest today is Marty Friedman. Uh, he really needs no introduction. He's one of the finest guitar players I've ever met. Uh, I found out today that he likes spicy food, Viz Comics, and Elvis Presley vinyl. Who knew? Who knew? So welcome to Guildford, Very man. Very nice to meet you. It's really, really cool. All I appreciate right. you coming over, and I'm super looking forward to uh, your clinic tonight. So oh, yes. Awesome. Yes. Um, as is the way with all these kind of Anderson's interviews, I love to, to sort of get a feel for, you know, the artist growing up and, and what it was that, you know, those magical moments that made you think, oh yeah, the guitar's okay. gonna be my thing. So take right. us back to, to back you know, when you were a kid and what it was like. All right, well, uh, I really wanted to be into sports because I loved sports, baseball and uh, American football, not to be confused with yep. soccer. Not that I was any good at any of those, but I really would have loved to have been an American football player. But look at me. I mean, really. <laughs> I would have been killed in the first first game. But uh, loved sports so much, but I knew somehow that was not going to happen. But I didn't know what I was going to do until I saw Kiss. Then the next day, got a guitar, got an amp, and got started. And how old, how old were you when you first saw Kiss? I was like uh, 13 or 14. Okay, so yeah. relative late starter to late, the guitar. Late, yeah, yeah, late, yeah. Late. And how, what was that, um, uh, what was it that, uh, you know, you were playing just sort of rock guitar, so you were instantly into that kind of vibe, or were, you, were your yeah, parents was, listening to lots of different music in the house? It was really Kiss and the Ramones. Okay. Um, which was a great thing, because I could learn them relatively quickly and get that satisfaction, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Had I been into King Crimson or something like that, I might have said, this guitar is too hard, <laughs> it's not for me, but... I had the like the punk songs and the rock and roll songs down really quickly, and uh, even I just got started. So I thought that, uh, wow, you know, it's not really that hard. Little did I know that like if you want to try to do something else, you have to work a lot harder. But I was really glad to have that satisfaction at the beginning, and it kept me going. And I got in a band right away and started to live the exact same lifestyle I'm doing now. You write music, you rehearse it, you record it, you play it live, and nothing's changed, really. So what was it, whereabouts in, in the States did you grow up? Washington, D.C. Okay, so there was a, a reasonable scene there, I guess, was there even when you were growing up? It wasn't like a backwater kind of vibe? and Not too backwater, but the Washington, D.C. was never known for being a rock mm -hmm. mecca. Um, New York was kind of a punk rock scene at the time, and uh, my band was sort of a cross between punk rock and hard rock, and mm -hmm. um, so we, we played as much as we could, and we played a lot. We're all 14-year-old kids, we had a lot of energy, and really were doing it at an early age, so none of us had a whole lot of chops, but we all had like tons of energy and just loved playing loud music. So, so where, did the, where did that sort of... Um, need to sort of get the chops up you know you 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 relatively quickly became known for 
you know, playing uh, some serious chops, you know. So what, how, was that a, did you go through a formal education or? No, um, and I never really had a huge woodshedding kind of experience. You know, you hear about guys practicing hours and hours in their bedroom. I never really had that, but I always had like a project going on. Like I was in a band working on mostly original material at the beginning. And the more you do it, you kind of, you get more ambitious. You want to try something cool. And to do that, you need to kind of up your game a little bit. And when you're always around a band or around people watching the band, you kind of up your game more than in your bedroom. Mm. So I found that playing with my band or playing live or writing music was really valuable when I tried to up my chops mm. game. And when I was in my late teens, I discovered um, that learning foreign music was going to be the ticket to me having different chops than the other guys. Everybody else around me was like, you had your perfect Van Halen guy, your perfect Jeff Beck guy, your perfect whoever, insert guitar god hero. And there was somebody in, in the neighborhood, even in Hawaii. I mean, Hawaii's a dot in the ocean. And there were guys who could literally just kick ass on that stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, there's no way I can play what these guys are playing. But I was learning, I started like with Indian sitar lines, and then I went into... A, vocal lines and um, vocal lines of Japanese traditional music, then Chinese music, the Chinese, um, Uruhu, Uruhu, I don't know how to pronounce it, it's Urhu, mm -hmm. and it's like a violin, and I started learning those lines, and then cello lines, and all these different lines from other instruments and other countries, and that forces you to do different things than every single other person had, like, you had mixes of the great guitar gods, you know, you had uh, guys who played like a cross between Hendrix and Page and Richie Blackmore. Then you had cross between Jeff Beck and whoever the other guys were. And they were all fantastic. You look at these guys and go, oh, my God. And um, but I was kind of always more attracted to uh, note choices and chords under the note choices that I didn't hear in traditional rock. So if you listen to, uh, say, Chinese music you'll hear strange chords under strange melodies. And if you analyze them, they don't really come up in rock too much. And the concept of harmony is completely different than what we grew up with, with rock and roll and then in heavy metal. So having studied a lot of that as a late teen kind of gave me that warped. That was the closest thing I did to woodshedding was analyzing. You, you, I mean, I was... You must have had a very eclectic kind of record store in Washington, you know, locally to be able to even buy. To Not in Washington. When I, moved, in I moved to Hawaii, Hawaii. Yeah. in my late teens. In Washington, I was just like, uh, you know, if there was a safety pin, I would have put it in my sheet. <laughs> but th that was already old news by then. But we were really all about energy and, and kicking ass with rock, you know. And then when I moved to Hawaii, I saw a lot of cultures yeah, mixing right. and heard, wow, what's this? And what's... Uh, What's, I've never heard anything like it. I've got to figure it out. You know? But did, did you have a sense that in order to maybe make a career out of this, that you would have to combine that style of music with something more Western and commercial? Or No, I never really wanted to play that style of music. Okay. I was always a rock person and heavy rock. I love the sound of distorted guitars. But... As far as adding information into mm. my bank of information, there's already enough guys who pretty much yeah. have the masters down. And uh, I could never compete with those masters anyway. And I don't want to compete. I just want to contribute something else that is part of me. It's like when mm. I hear something, even now, I'll hear something in a restaurant. I'll hear a strange time signature. And I say, well, I'm going to use that. And so I, I um, you know, I never really considered that I was mixing anything. I was just doing exactly what I wanted to do and never really considered about making a living at anything because, you know, music is like, it's like the lottery if you make a living at it. So I just wanted to make sure I could get the music in here out and done and completed. And then you can't control whether anyone likes it or not. Yeah. So as long as I'm satisfied with it, then let the chips fall where they may. You know, I can't control what other people do. So that that so you, I, I see where you're going with this, but so, so what? At what point was it that you realised that people were 
digging what you were doing and you be, and you'd started to become a bit of a you know a guitar hero well that kind of started even at the beginning at the when i was playing punk kind of rock and roll and my i had a band called deuce mm -hmm. we were all 14 15 and so and we had tons of fans we played in this like big barn with a double stage and a drum riser and we were like little rock gods so we had already had that rock star ego <laughs> ego thing from the early age and we were playing up to the hill getting wasted all the time chicks and we were just loving it and and little do you know if you want to be a lifer in the business you can't be doing drugs and you can't you got to like get responsible and create real music but i was very lucky i got that all out of my system by the time I was 17. Wow. I loved every minute of it. So you, you had, I the, loved you had it. The, like the dream team, didn't the, you? The total like... dream team. We were, good, <laughs> we were a seriously good band and, and the dream team, but like, you can't do that forever, and I want to make music for as yeah. long as possible. So I quit all of those uh, bad influences and started really focusing on music much more. Was that part of the move to Hawaii? I mean, that's not an everyday Well, that's not why. Of... That was my, my dad got right. transferred to Hawaii. So okay. uh, that was a double-edged sword. I thought, Hawaii is great. There's beautiful girls everywhere. It's great, which is true. But when you get there, there's like no music down yeah, there. It's, it doesn't strike me as the kind of place that's ever been like the mecca for certainly not rock music. No, it? no. It was like a time warp and nobody liked the music I was making. Mm. At that time, I was trying to make the most intense, heaviest guitar maniac music I could. And they were like, first of all, they're like 20 years behind, but only Hawaiian music was popular mm. there. So I was hated down there. Yeah. And I couldn't find band members, of course. I found a drummer who I loved and we worked out a lot of great stuff together, but it was really hard work. But that probably... Mm. That probably helped me develop because I knew nobody was going to like it, but I just wanted to do exactly what I wanted to do. And uh, I did that. It was very, very... I remember working very hard with that band, Hawaii. Yeah. And then as soon as you were old enough, is that when you thought, I've got to move back to the, the mainland? And Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when you have a band and you have dreams of going on tour, my band, Hawaii, it was called Hawaii. We had a tour of the West Coast in America booked. And we had a couple indies albums out and we did our little tour. And at the end of the tour, I have no idea where the band went. We just kind of poof, <laughs> we split up. And I think other guys went back to Hawaii. I stayed in San Francisco and uh, um, put together Cacophony. But it was, it was weird. Nobody said goodbye or anything. Yeah. It was not very romantic at all. Do you think that kind of, I mean, that period, um, guitar reached a kind of a mainstream probably its biggest peak in mainstream interest in that kind of super virtuoso you, you know what you were doing and the the vi and the satriani and all that and the van halen element do you, do you think that's sort of you know what was it like at that time because it it almost feels it's gone more niche again and then it but then it was just almost like everybody had passion and warfare and i don't really know because i was never really in tune, so to speak, with that community or that. I was uh, more of the mindset that if if I did an album that didn't sound like anybody else and mm -hmm. I was doing something totally unique and totally my own on guitar, at least if it flops, then I'm happy with it. If it comes out and people like it, that's great. Mm. Um, and to get that done... Um, there was a label called Shrapnel Records, and I was one of the first guys to release anything on that, and all they wanted was insane guitar. And I was cool with that, because by that time I had developed um, a lot of insane guitar ideas, but like I don't think they were like the other guys who were doing that. I think the other guys were much more mainstream than mm -hmm. I was. And uh, I was kind of influenced by, like I said before, all these Asian music and weird... Um, time signatures and kind of dissonant things like I was listening to Stravinsky and Scriabin mm -hmm. and and uh, things that don't find their way into guitar virtuoso world and I did never ever wanted to be labeled a guitar virtuoso oh okay never I mean I've never bought anything because guitar virtuoso yeah or any virtuoso for that matter I just want to hear music that I like mm -hmm. so I didn't want to be put into that category but 
It's interesting you say that because I've heard you in other interviews kind of try not to be labelled as a shredder or a virtue. You know, it's what, what is it that you... Is it just purely this idea of of you, you you don't want to be pigeonholed with other people you just want to go no, look this is no. this is what my brain is it's not is doing. other people i love i mean uh, my friend ricardo's taking me all around europe and yeah. uh, he works with great people all the time i mean he works with uh, guthrie govin yeah. and uh, and uh, robin ford and all these like super players so like if you want to put me in in their league more more power to you i love it um, but when I was a kid, I don't know if it's the same now because people take it as a compliment, I guess, but they said, used to say the word shredding and what it meant was just playing really fast. Yeah. And um, I really don't want to be playing fast so much that people think that that's what I'm known for. I would be so depressed. And sometimes it happens. Mm -hmm. Marty Friedman, known for his fast guitar lightning skills, fucking hate it. I mean, if you listen to my records, there are fast passages. Mm -hmm. And especially the more recent records, they happen in places where I put them in so much impact that maybe people think I'm playing fast more than I really am. So it's very important where these exciting runs go. But like when I hear the word shredder, I think of these like a lot of the CDs I get, unfortunately, guys playing like fast the all the yeah. time over like some kind of completely random drum machine beat and like meaningless bass patterns and meaningless backing and they're just playing fast all the time and to be honest with you uh, a lot of people who don't really listen to guitar that much will put everybody together mm -hmm. in that group because it just sounds like fast wailing and so i really don't like that term mm -hmm. Um, but if you're using it as a compliment, like most people are, I do not take offense. Yeah. Um, I appreciate any kind of compliment, but uh, I really don't like that term. No, and and from what I've heard, and, and certainly the only time I've sit, you know had the pleasure of being in the same room as you whilst you were playing, which was during the, the track you uh, played, the 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 degree of light and shade in your playing and like you say, you can hear though all those microtonal kind of bends that have been influenced from uh, different styles of music from, you know, non-Western Eastern music. Uh, it does make it terribly interesting. And, it, and it's, there's even, you know, I mean... As, or interestingly terrible. Or, yeah, it could be terribly interesting or interesting terrible. Yeah. I don't think there's, is there a difference? It's fine. It's just a, per, it's just a point of view, isn't it? Mm. But, um, okay, so if we get, so I suppose it, it's it's quite... You know, I I think it's you're you're quite a, a modest and humbling person to sort of, you know. Every you know when I say virtuoso, I do, I mean it as a compliment. I don't sure. mean it as a to sort of. Yeah, yeah, know, yeah. I a, got it. I got it. And I think that's probably what everybody means. When yeah, they, when I'm they sure they about. do. I, um, but so you you then it. had a. Tell me about how sort of really finding your feet because of course you know the 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 early part of your career. It was was um, more bandy kind of stuff, and I presume you know laying down guitar parts for uh, to fit the band that you were in. Um, so, so tell me, sort of through that period, what was it that you know? What was your your sort of journey to go? You know, I just I need to do a Marty Friedman thing and just really. I mean, I'm not particularly. I'm not. I got to be a solo guy. Definitely mm. not. I'm way more of a van guy. Right. And that's why I do a lot of touring with my own solo project. But believe me, I would love to be a part of any exciting project, any type of band project. Mm -hmm. I do plenty of band projects in Japan and in all around the world, actually. I do a lot of things, but I would always prefer a band project uh, than to just be, I'm the main guy. I mean, I, I love doing my stuff and my last couple albums have just been stuff that I'm super, super proud of. I mean, my live album, One Bad MF and uh, Wall of Sound and Inferno especially, those albums are like, it's just it's my guts laid out there. I've never worked that hard. I've never been that satisfied. Love that stuff very much. So it's been a joy touring with that around the world and I intend to do more. But I way prefer band life and playing in a band and I love playing in, in units of any kind. Have you, have you got a sort of a, bucket list band like you know, you know like, 
No, no. You don't have like, you know, like John Mayer's doing the sort of Grateful Dead thing. You haven't got like one going, if they ever needed a guitar player, that Grateful would be Dead. the one. That didn't mean them specifically, but oh. just because he's joined it as a kind of a... You, you he know. joined Grateful Dead? They do this thing called Dead and Company, which is wow. the, the surviving members of Grateful Dead and John Mayer. And they go and tour and they do some of his songs and some of theirs. And it's Interesting. Kind of, but I wondered if you had a, you know... Even a even a even a band that aren't around anymore, like if they somehow magically on the other side reformed, only the Ramones really. Be the Ramones, would yeah. it? That would be cool. But uh, yeah, I mean that's that's just in my gut, you know. Your thirteen-year-old yeah. self never goes away. Um, but uh, I'm more not. I'm less into the past and more into futuristic, new kind of things. Mm -hmm. That I would love to do something that's new and exciting, and um, I just like great collaborations and I've done mm. a lot of collaborations in Japan that have just been extremely satisfying and yeah. but a full-time band would also be cool too if I, you know if my thing fits into a band thing I'm way into it well let's talk about Japan because you know I mean we, we, we had a great lunch together you know your, your wife lovely wife joined us and obviously you talk to her in Japanese all the time and it's yeah. it's kind of I always find that a such a complex language compared, you know, when you're brought up speaking English, mm. or it sounds complex. Well, any language um, that's not your own, I guess. Yeah. yeah, but I think you can listen to French or Spanish and you can kind of get a rough, you know, idea of what's going not on. Not French. No. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe Spanish. Um, so was it, was there a, and I know you, I know you said musically you were drawn uh, to uh, certain Japanese music prior to even going there but what was your when did you first go there and and suddenly think wow this is well the first time I went there on tour uh, I was in a band called Cacophony mm -hmm. and we were um, you know we were on an indies label in America and we did gigs in America and then we went to Japan and did a tour and you know you know how indies bands get treated in America I don't know how it is in England right. but it's not all that great right. and um, but when we went to Japan we were playing proper venues um, and proper facilities and proper staff and everything was clean and everything was on time and everything was done right. And I'm like, wow, this, you have to be an arena act to be treated like this in America. Now, so I was really impressed with the, their attention to detail when it comes to music. And so I just thought, I really hope this is not the last time I go to Japan. Because, mm -hmm. you know, when you finally get there, you think, this is it. This is, I'm never going to come this far away from my house again. I'm never going to make it this far again. So I was just really hoping that I could come back again. And, and I did. And that was um, when you made the move. Uh, so what, what year was it that you decided to move to Japan? I moved there somewhere around 2003 or four or something. So you, so you had three or four years after the Megadeth thing finished and you were doing some more stuff in the States and then, so what, that must have been quite a brave, you know, just up sticks and go, I'm going Yeah, well, or? you know, maybe you, you could say that, a bit, but I think anybody who's a lifer in music has this natural thing to follow their musical, mm -hmm. something tells you you need to do it. I mean, I was listening to Japanese music only for like the past, five or seven years in the late 90s and the okay. early 2000s, no American music. And I was kind of really into the Japanese music and less and less into what was on the charts in America. Mm. Like if you look at the top 10 in Japan, then and even now, I probably like about nine of the songs. But in America, especially now that they're like either rap songs or country songs, and it's all really good music, but it's not my cup of tea. And in Japan... Very English thing to say there, well done. Americans industry. say that too. Do they? Yeah, they really do. I thought, I, mean, I thought maybe you'd pick that up in Japan. Maybe that's more, it sounds to me like a... They like, they like it. <laughs> no, that's very American. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, so I just, the, the music scene always appealed to me. It came to a point where I was just like only listening to Japanese music. And it was like kind of a no-brainer that, look, I want to inject my musicality into the Japanese music mm. scene. Not the international Japanese music scene, but the domestic Japanese music scene. And... Uh, that's exactly what I wanted to do, and that's exactly what I did. And, and did you fairly quickly kind of just meet, you know, Japanese musicians and, and let the music break down the language kind of barriers, or you know, by that you time there wasn't yourself? any language barriers because right. I was speaking Japanese as a hobby, okay. which was lucky. Because mm -hmm. all of those years touring on the bus, people are playing video games, reading books, and I was not 
into those things. I was studying Japanese and reading and writing Japanese and just for a hobby, you know, because I really didn't have any hobbies. But mm -hmm. I wouldn't ever have thought that I was going to use my hobby. But by the time, you know, early 2000s, I was pretty much fluent in Japanese. So, of course, up until then, I was touring Japan many times and talking to the staff in Japanese, doing all my interviews in Japanese, mm -hmm. even though I probably sucked a lot of the time. They were very cordial and put up with me and helped me learn Japanese, and they taught me a lot of Japanese. And then by the time I moved there, I was already fluent. So there was no la language problem. But I wanted to be in the domestic world, and I was known mm. for the international world from American bands. And so I had to meet a whole new group of people. And I met one of my favorite singers named Aiko Ananase, and I joined her band relatively quickly. And she's got a lot of fans all over Japan, and none of them knew who I was when I joined the band, which was great. I was about to say, I get, I bet, I get the sense you're the kind of person that would have gone, that's great, I'd much rather... At first it was know. weird. Yeah. It was weird because I was playing full-on gigs and I looked kind of the same and nobody knew who I was. It was just, who's this foreigner? Because all of the people or the majority of people listening to Japanese music don't follow mm -hmm. international music. And vice versa is always also the case. So if you're like a fan of, say, Metallica or Megadeth or Black Sabbath or whoever, chances are you don't know much about Japanese pop music. Yeah. But at the same time, if you listen to Japanese pop music and Japanese rock and metal and visual K and all that, which is about 80% of the population, they don't know you 2 from Madonna. I mean, they really are deeply into this domestic world of Japanese music. Mm -hmm. So, And that's the world I wanted to get into because that's what I was listening to. So when I joined that world, nobody knew who I was, even though I'd been playing music professionally since I was a kid. Yeah. And so it was weird, and I had to win over fans one by one, and, and it was great work. Oh, that's cool. And so you're, when you're in Japan and you're uh, writing music, from what I, I, it does retain, I don't know about roots. Is it's it's a hybrid, isn't it, of kind of what you presumably grew up listening to and the rock side of thing with a Jap. Would you describe it as with a Japanese influence, or where do you think the roots are within? I think it's deeper than that. I think sonically it's what I grew up with because I love mm. the sound of a distorted guitar. Yeah. And um, so sonically it's that, but I think there's something in me that has a very Japanese melodic influence that even came from before I lived there, but living there has turbocharged it. Uh, like I really don't know because I've written some music for Japanese artists and when I hear it, I can't believe that I've written it because it's so Japanese. Right. I can't believe a white guy from Washington, D.C. Yeah. has written this. You would never guess it. And it's more than just music theory. It's more than just placing these chords over this. There's something in the soul. So, And I'm not one of those new agey types with soulmates and all that thing. Um, but I don't know where it came from. But somehow I really can uh, emote these Japanese musical motifs and melodies and chord structures very naturally. Have you found your your taste in the gear that you're trying to use change much as you've sort of transitioned from, you know, playing relatively mainstream rock and metal into this more, uh, you know, more of this Japanese influence thing. Do you, do you, are you still, I mean, I, you know, you I know where you're going. It's sonically, it hasn't changed much because, yeah. um, I like loud guitar, loud, heavy guitar. So whatever context I'm putting it in, is cool and I also like the complete beautiful clean quiet glassy gorgeous guitar sounds too um, but I'm definitely not a connoisseur of guitar tones or pedals or different kind of guitars I'm way way more interested in the melody mm. and the interpretation of that melody that's much more important for me so sonically it's pretty much Whatever instrument I'm going to play, it's going to sound pretty close. Whatever yeah. rig I'm going to play, it's going to sound pretty close. So uh, I've changed guitars. I've been so fortunate to have several signature models over the years. Now I'm back with a company, Jackson, who did my signature, Kelly, many years ago. And they've got uh, my new MF1, which is a wonderful guitar. And as you probably know with a lot of other guys that you've had here, um, when you're with a guitar company, 
it's kind of two things. The first thing is obviously the quality of the gear, but the second thing is the people that you deal with. Mm -hmm. Because you have to play the guitar all year and you're all over the world and you need to be, I'm in Milan, I need a guitar, you know. You need certain kind of personal attention. Yeah. And the way they treat you in situations is kind of how you gauge how much you want to continue working with them. And Jackson has always been like a top list from to A class, top class as far as people go and yeah. gear. They took two years to make this the way I wanted it only because I don't know how to describe guitar things well enough. I just like, no, it sounds cheap or no, <laughs> it's not heavy enough or stupid things and then they like what is he trying to say with this and prototypes after prototypes and they're very patient with me and they make a fantastic instrument and um so uh that's why so it's like the gears quality and then it's the people i loved i loved when we were setting up and obviously you've, you've bought your own guitar and i guess you're traveling with this that is not it? mine this is one oh, that they, right. they prepared for me to do a bunch of clinics in europe Fine. Yeah. um and you've got one pedal uh, which I've never seen before, and it's a, oh. you just leave it on all the time. On zero. On zero. Yeah. Great. And then you, and we said, you know, what kind, what kind of uh, amp do you want? And you just went, oh, find me something high gain, and if you like the sound, I'll like the sound. Which I, was like, I don't think anyone has ever been that loose with kind of, or trusting maybe really? is a better word, to just go, but is, is that just born from, it just doesn't interest you? Like, you know, you, know, you just go, I like the sound, I'm really not interested how that sound is. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I'd rather leave uh, the cake baking to a baker. Um, <laughs> but let, let me get this completely straight. I so admire and have such a fond feeling for these super guitarists who not only play wonderful guitar, but they know every piece of gear and they love turning knobs and they love yeah. experimenting with sounds and really intelligent with the electronics and if something goes wrong and they're the only one there they love to fix it and they can do it guys like steve Vai, just a brilliant it's a whole different world to me mm. that's like playing the saxophone as well as guitar i mean it's really something i admire so much and devin townsend is another one of those guys who uh knows so much about effects and just really loves working yeah. with them and uh i'm not that guy unfortunately um if, if someone else can dial up a nice sound for me, I'm fine. Oh, that's cool. And so, but, and I wonder if, you know, maybe, maybe it'll come. Maybe, maybe, maybe you need to just dig into one of those line six things. No, and I find hate it. it. Really? I hate it. You just, I hate all that shit. That's I so refreshing. Yeah. Because I'm kind of a bit like that myself. You hate it. If someone said to me, you've got 60 minutes and you can either spend 60 minutes playing the guitar or 30 minutes playing guitar and 30 minutes trying to find a sound in a, yeah. thing i'm going with 60 minutes playing the guitar every right. single time well here's the thing i mean guys like steve Vai and uh, other guys they're not a lot of these people out there in the world you mm. know that's why you got to realize it's a superstar level mm. um the majority of people that i've come into contact in my life are literally pedal geniuses and gear geniuses yeah. and those are the guys that i want to have as my tech um and sometimes they also play guitar really well, too. Like, my tech right now plays really good guitar. Um, but I've had techs who can barely play guitar, but you put an amp in front of them and some pedals, and they will dial you the sweetest mm. tone ever. So I really like to surround my, myself with those kind of engineers, those mm. kind of techs. And, and that's, that's what really helps me a lot, because I just want to sit down there and interpret these melodies. I yeah. want to yeah. sing. That's that's my yeah. what I do. I don't want to like figure out what kind of battery to put in the mic. I want to sing. No, I just, I just wonder whether because there are some artists. Um, I mean, you mentioned Kim King Crimson right at the beginning of this, yeah. you know, and I'm, you know, who he, all of that kind of stuff are uh, soundscapes almost of, uh, and it's all about using uh, things that affect the sound of the guitar to create. Um, a scene or a, 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 I think you know, we, we interviewed um, Jacko the, the guitar player from King Crimson um, he's had that gig for about six years we did, and he was talking about how Robert Fripp just creates these soundscapes and it's just a different it's just a very different technique I wondered if you'd ever sort of thought you know maybe one day I'll 
just try no and write something. No interest and no talent for that. Right. Um, I have a lot of respect for them. And there's a group called Mono out of Japan. I don't know if you've heard of them. Right. What they do with effects is the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. They, it's like kind of noise music. Mm-hmm. It starts with the most beautiful silence. And it becomes louder than an airplane of white noise. But that journey from the silence to the white noise done with guitars and bass and drums is so friggin' cool. And they do it live and it's just like chills and tears. No melodies, maybe a couple little melodies in there, but it's all done with guitar noises and effects and the brilliant use of those electronics. And I just love it to death. Um, yeah, but it's, it's not going to be me. But I do... When I record my albums, I have great guys who are suggesting effects. I'll say, this is the type I want to play, the mm-hmm. type of part I want to play. I'm going to play this melody here. What do you got? Right. I say, try this. And I'll have the engineers do that before I even show up. Today I'm going to do a ballad and I'm going to do these clean parts. So get something. I'll, ha- I'll go out and have a bite, like Nigel Tufnell says. <laughs> I'll go across the street and have a bite. They come in and they got a couple different clean tones there. Um, a lot of people compliment the clean tone I got on an album called Scenes that I mm-hmm. did a while ago, and that was completely dumb luck. Um, it was a guitar, a Fernandez guitar that was given me from the rep of Fernandez, who's this totally smoking hot chick <laughs> that I was endorsing Jackson at the time, and I had a ton of guitars there. I was not interested in the guitar at all. But this rep from the company brings this guitar in there. I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll play it sometime. But can I get your number? It was that kind of thing. And then I was going for clean tone one day, and I'm going to try the guitar out of the case and plugged it into just some random effects unit. And the heavens parted, and it was just the most beautiful clean sound I ever got. So I kept that guitar for sure. Uh, never got the girl, though. But I kept the guitar, and... Um, it's probably the, one of the most the people compliment me on that guitar sound more than anything. And it was just random because some cute chick brought it in there. So you just got to get lucky sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. sometimes. So in terms of um, where you're at now, uh, you know, fully well-established um, solo artist or, art, you know, able to write your own music, um, not having to worry about whether it's conforming to anything other than what you like. Which must be musically probably where every musician would really like to to sort of be. Sure. Where where does that sort of take you then? Are you are you is there enough of an audience for that to um, feel like it's great and I can just carry on, or are you are you, are you having to sort of explore? I know you do a little bit of tuition kind of stuff. I mean, where do you where do you think you're? I've been so going? lucky in Japan that my career has kind of spiraled off into a lot of different places. Mm-hmm. The main difference is television. So since I've moved to Japan, I've done maybe 800 different television programs. Wow. And I'm just constantly doing television work, and that allows me the freedom. What kind of television work? Every possible kind of TV show, from musical shows to comedy shows to talk shows to even sometimes political. Uh, I'm not very good at that, but political stuff that I know nothing about, and uh, educational shows and travel shows and... Um, I did a really big special about uh, Fukushima that uh, has been uh, aired many, many times and uh, game shows, quiz shows, I've done a couple cooking shows, every possible kind of program in Japan. Of course, musical shows too. Where's the fast, because I can't think of a single, you know, British or American uh, guitar player that could say that that's there's that there's that much public interest in them outside of the music that they write. Yeah, a lot of these people who watch me on TV do not even know that I play music. Yeah, so is that I mean is that just some sort of fascination with a with a, a, a somebody a, a western guy who's who's transitioned so well into their culture and it's just interesting or what, what what's I don't know. I think uh, or, or are you just an amazing cook? No, I'm not. Political I'm not, I'm not, I'm not at all. Commentator. Um, <laughs> it was one of those weird life things, you know, when I moved to Japan, all I wanted to do, like I said, was be part of the domestic music scene. And in doing that, I got asked to do this one TV show called Heavy Metasan, which means Mr. Heavy Metal. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, 
it was all about heavy metal and I just finished playing heavy metal and I was yep. like, I wanted to be in this Japanese rock or pop or whatever kind of Japanese music world I wanted to get into, but not doing a comedy show about, it's kind of like taking the piss at heavy metal. Right. But with a good spirit. Yeah. And so I'm like, ah, I don't really want to do that. And I really want to concentrate on music. And they just say, try one, just do one. Here's, here's what we need you to do. They had me do something that only I could do which was um, play an American song along with a Japanese song and mix them in such a way that Japanese people will think it's both the same song. Right. Which is a very weird thing to be asked. But I happen to know many, many Japanese songs, Japanese traditional songs, so I've got all that in here. Um, so I did that and it was, we did a bunch of comedy routines and a bunch of kind of silly stuff. And that first show um, was run by this Japanese company that produces TV shows. And they saw it and they're like, we want to manage you. We want to we take the show. It was a pilot. We want to take the show for a full season and we want to manage you. Can you please think about it? Because this is really good. And I'm like, so I'm, I don't know this Japanese TV production company. So I asked my friend at the record company to take a meeting with me and them because I didn't know the TV world. And they said, they're really good. They're like one of the biggest companies in Japan. So I said, yes, let's do it. We did one season. Thing was a hit. Then we went into another spinoff called Rock Fujiyama, which a lot of people in Europe seem to know. And that went on for four more seasons. And then I started getting TV commercials and parts in movies and Coca-Cola commercials. And That's amazing. It really ticked me into a different place, which allowed me the freedom to not worry about things like budget on my records and worry about what the record company thinks of my wow. record. And so what you hear on the record is exactly what I want it to, to be. There'd be, like, there'd be like thousands of musicians so jealous at the moment that you've kind of just that... Yeah, I mean, it's great. It's nothing I mean, to be jealous of. It's well, just, it's just the it's thing. The, I mean, the, not not the specifics, but as in just the freedom that obviously this the well, lifestyle has given you to yes. to create. Yes. Um, yes. What's the weirdest commercial you ever had to do then? I've done. Um, I did a Fanta commercial, different commercials for two years, and uh, it was a band. It was uh, five. It was myself and other people, kind of well known in the Japanese television and music community and a sumo wrestler on drums of course <laughs> and and we played no music until the two-year campaign was over so it was like what was this magical music that they're making nobody knew until two years we'd done this so that was that was cool and then I did um I did a one I really enjoyed was myself playing guitar with a, a koto player you know the mm -hmm. koto on the ground and it was for a bank and um one of the best Koto players in Japan, and I did this arrangement of a song. And you can hear that song on my Tokyo Jukebox 2 album, <laughs> available in Europe. Get a plug-in. And do uh, it. get a plug-in there. And it was, I did this arrangement of this, of Canon, that, that, that song that's been done to death on guitar. Right. You know, Canon by Pacquiao Bell. Yeah, yeah. And that's what the company wanted me to do. They want you to play it on guitar and do it with a Koto. I'm like... That's the most tired song in the world done on guitar. No offense to anyone who's playing it, <laughs> but it's just been done and probably better than I could think of doing it. So I didn't really want to do it. So I'm like, F I got to come up with a really interesting arrangement of this for myself and the Koto player. And uh, we did that. And, um, and it became a really wonderful commercial, really wonderful commercial. And we did it live. You know, usually you record it and then you do the commercial. But no, we did it live as we were. So what wow. you see in the commercial was really it's, live. Yeah. But it's only like a 30-second commercial. I did a full version on my album, like two, three minutes. But um, that was a wonderful experience. And I did vitamins um, for Suntory uh, vitamins. And it was funny. The vitamin one was I did it the very day that I filmed the DVD for my Live in Japan DVD. It was done beforehand the show. It was a scene, me taking this vitamins. I, I take this vitamin and then play rock and roll or whatever it was. But I had to do a lot of takes. And each take, I took like one or two of these vitamins. <laughs> so by the time I played the show, I had already taken like 30 of these friggin' vitamins. And I was like, is this gonna, is gonna come out yellow or something? Probably. Um, 
I was a little bit worried about that, but the show was like the best show ever. It was it was a good show. It was was amp for sure. But uh, yeah, you get a lot of those funny fun opportunities in Japan. Uh, It's I mean it is. I think I'm I'm really like it's it's uplifting to just go. Here's a real story of like success and happiness, as opposed to so many musicians go. Oh, it's so out there you know it's just like nobody buys my music anymore and i can't make any living and now i have to do these terrible tuition things just to, you know all this kind of like well, listen know. listen making music is just a privilege for any situation you know what i'm saying i mean it's a privilege to have anyone listen to your music mm. whether it's one person or one million people and the more important thing is that your music is done your way in some form mm. and you can have something that you can listen to that sounds like you sounds like what you want your music to be you can't control what happens after that then the rest of it is perspiration trying to get it done i would much rather be known for more of my music than for television Mm -hmm. of course i love doing tv too and it's a blast i love it but i would love to be a household name for my music but my Mm -hmm. music is a little eclectic but you never know what's going to come down the line you know i might Get it right sometime. You never know. Yeah. Well, it's every ticket we've sold to tonight are local Japanese housewives that yeah. have just come to see you because you of would yeah. not be surprised. <laughs> anyway, um, I do want to talk about something that clearly you presumably can't get in Japan and we had some fun with today. So, anyone outside the UK, will anyone outside the UK have a clue what Viz Magazine is? Unfortunately, no. No. Well, that's fine, because most of the people watching this channel hopefully are in the UK. So how does that work then? That you, you touch down in the UK and pretty much within the first 30 seconds of meeting each other, you say, is there anywhere where we can go and get a Viz comic from? Yeah. Where, where does that even come from? That is, uh, when I heard England was on the list of the itinerary to come into, <laughs> okay, good. I haven't gotten Viz in a while. Um, it's just so hilarious, and I just love the humor so much in there, and it's so non-PC. Oh, it's completely non-PC. And I just love that so incredibly much, and the characters are so funny. They're all like one-note one note wonders, you know, but they continue that one note for years and years and years. You know where the story's going, but it's just as many different ways to say f***ing or s***ing or whatever, and that's just funny. It's always funny. <laughs> It's always funny, and just the, and the way they take the piss at the. You see, I'm talking like an English person. It's good. We don't say it's that in America. Good. Now, what do you say then? Take the Mickey. No, oh, you don't even have that. Take, why do, what do? How do you say take the piss in American? I don't know. I just thought you're the American. <laughs> take, they take the piss at you know the royal family and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which um, I grew up in America, so I don't really know anything about it. But I just think it's so funny that this there's this huge thing that represents. England to the entire world and you got stories in Viz about the most disgusting things that you could possibly imagine about your precious royal family like who's writing this stuff it's just so incredibly funny that um I never get bored of it and I don't even throw them away I keep them and read them and read them and just love it and I I mean even oh, you your see that? can you get a close-up of this is uh there is a character uh, I mean, this is crazy. I've not read Viz since I was probably a student, so that's how long it's been going. And I've seen this plectrum. I've gone, you've got Sid the Sexist on Sid your plectrum. Right, on my you pick. can see even the name that's of the character. That's plectrum, yeah. See, I made my, my own personal picks. I, didn't put, I put my logo on it, but I didn't put my name on it. I wanted to put Sid the Sexist. And people in England know who it is, but everybody else thinks it's me for some reason. Can we, can we get a series of these? We can do one with... Uh, it's Buster Gonad. I would, that's a great idea. Do a whole different... Yeah, but you know, when the pick company made this, this is, is there a copyright issue with this? Oh, probably. And I said, no. But like, so if we did a series, it might get a little bit risky. <laughs> but as long as they're not for sale, as long as they're just for you. Well, they were, yeah. but so... <laughs> Oh, well, but you know let's be fair we've probably given Viz the biggest plug it's had in months no oh. I love it like <laughs> tits out for the lads can you say that with a Manchester accent can I do a Manchester accent hang on this we may have to edit this out because it might be so bad I normally have to what, what would someone from Manchester even no they say I tits guess. out for the lads no, that, right that, that was that's actually the public tits isn't it? oot for the lads is how they write it is that not a Geordie thing then oh like is it, Newcastle is, Oh, no, Sid the Sexist, I'm sure, is a Geordie. That's Geordie, right. See, yeah. I don't know the difference between Manchester and Geordie. That's Newcastle. So, so how do you say it? Tits out for the lads, like. 
or something like that. I don't, I'm, I'm apologies to everyone from Newcastle. And if how that about was the terrible. fat slags? Where are they from? <laughs> slags. The fat slags. Where are they from? I mean, they could be from anywhere in the UK. To be fair, are they are they Essex? I'm probably. Yeah. This is literally. I'm now insulting huge swathes of our of our customers here. Why? Well, they're so cool. I mean, uh, every so? time I went to that part of the country, <laughs> I asked the people who's ever there, um, can, you, can you read this Fat Slags article for me or can you read this Sid the Sexist? Now, if they were just reading it, I wouldn't understand a word. But like since I'm reading the comic, I can totally get, you know, I, I know what they're talking about. I think it's really hilarious, but I just love it when they read it and I can't understand it. Well... I'm so pleased that uh, we managed to find you a copy of his, which we did find, along with some Elvis Presley records as yes, well. Yes. So that's another thing I wasn't expecting you to, to do. And, um, and I think we're going to try and download the Viz app onto your phone as yes, well. Yes, we so are. Anywhere in the world, yes, you can we are. have some uh, filthy British humour. Mm. Um, if there's anything else that you would like to plug... Or tell uh, the viewers about what your plans are for the you know foreseeable future. Presumably, you're you're you are set on seeing your days out in Japan, are you? You're just that's where you're happiest and where Who you knows? found your I spiritual home. I mean, it's home. definitely been the best uh, for my musical uh, well-being. But uh, I'm music leads me, man. Mm -hmm. Music leads me. So like, you never know what's going to happen in the future. But for right now, I have a live album out. I'll do the plug portion. Do now. the plug. I have a live album out right now called One Bad MF Live. And it is available worldwide. And um, it's taken from my tour of last year. And it's the same tour that I'm on this year. I just finished the American part of the tour. Um, and it was recorded in Mexico City which was a wonderful show. And then uh, after that, we did uh, the whole United States and I hope to tour Europe. I really want to bring my band to Europe. They outshine me every night. You <laughs> will not believe how cool this band is. You got to have my bass, pa bass player, Kiyoshi, in here sometime. She, she will to. destroy all these instruments. She's really something. To. Great band. Um, you can hear them on One Bad MF Live and... Um, Hope to tour Europe sometime soon. Right now, I'm just finishing up a couple weeks doing uh, masterclass type of things in, in Europe, which I'll do um, tonight here with you. And um, I'll go to Japan and do some more shows in Japan. I, I do an orchestral thing every, um, every season where I play. I have a lot of ballads in my mm -hmm. music, which you can hear on Wall of Sound or Inferno or any of my records. I always have ballads, and they always have... Nice orchestration. So we do these live in Japan, you know, spring, summer, and fall and winter. And um, we just did the spring one. So summertime, we're going to do another big one with strings and pianos and my full band and all that. So we do that and um, some more TV stuff that uh, won't necessarily make it to England. But uh, hopefully, uh, you know, I really just want to tour more than I'm touring now. So that's mm -hmm. the main thing. So hopefully I'll get there with my solo music or with something else, and you never know. I just love playing in front of people. Oh, that's great. Well, look, please, if you tour the UK, hook us up again. We'd I love will. to come and see you. Or yeah. every, any comeback, welcome on the show anytime you like, man. Thank uh, you for the hospitality. Uh, it's been such a pleasure meeting you. Thank you. My really pleasure. looking forward to tonight. Thank you guys for watching. Uh, please like and subscribe to this channel, and uh, we shall see you in a video soon. Thank Bye. you very much. <laughs>